Hi, I'm Jerry Scullion, and you're listening to Gut Talks Double G U Double T. Hi, I'm Jerry Scullion, and you're listening to Gut Talks Double G U Double T. There you go. Uh-huh. Hi, everyone. I'm Maria, and welcome to Gut Talks Double G U Double T, a podcast I started to connect, reconnect, and meet like-minded individuals and put some karma on the board. In this episode, we put together an existing segment of season three. So instead of listening in batches, you get to listen to the entire conversation. We had over 89,000 downloads to date, starting from zero with no sponsors, and it's a 100% self-funded podcast. Thank you so much for hanging around and listening to the episodes. And I have one ask only. I'd love to have your feedback to keep the show up to your expectations. So drop me a line at maria at gut.com, And like, share, or leave a review if you can. Now let's get started. Can I use all of them? Yeah, use whatever you want. I don't. Okay. First of all, I like your background. So whoever is watching this as a video, I do like your background. Thanks. Um, Jerry, we we met online on Mm. a couple of occasions. I think I did enroll in one of your courses that was recommended by Adam Lawrence. So he had like two tickets left and like two of us like, okay, well, John, it was during COVID, I think. So yeah. And then we met online through other communities. Uh, yeah so marcus and florian and adam ran a conference in nuremberg called teaming with ai and i was sitting in a hotel room on my own in nuremberg where the conference was on it was kind of very meta i was like i'd flown all this way to be on a laptop in a hotel room where where the conference was on two blocks away because they were doing a thing the night before but anyway you weren't there the day after though i don't think I was online, so it's like where you weren't lonely in uh, Nuremberg. (laughs) Everyone was online, so I was online, and uh, we ended up in a room online together. Oh, that's Uh, right. I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah, that was good fun. I fell asleep, I think. I think I was... I, I got so comfortable in the conversation that I actually got into bed. <laughs> actually, I know I remember. It was a silent room. So we had different options. One of mm-hmm. them was, was the silent room. So we ended up being in the silent room, but then other people joined and then it yeah. didn't end up being silent. So you left. No. I, I, I left. <laughs> well, yeah. I was starting to fall asleep. I was so tired like that day. I was like, I do remember being in a in a silent room. I was like, what is this? This is too this is too experimental for my brain. So I left a silent room and a Zoom room online in the venue or in in the city where the where the conference was. I was like, no, this is not for me. I'm going to bed. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean it's part of the whole experimentation thing, right? Yeah. Uh, and you're into that. And Absolutely. Um, I just want to say you you're a podcaster too. So I don't think I've yeah. had many podcasters on this podcast. I think I had a few, a couple maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you've been running your podcast since 2017. Yeah, six years. It's mad. Six years. Do you want to say anything about this? Just it's, uh... well, yeah, like it started as a, a somewhat of a, a kind of a dare, I guess. I was like, can I can I do it and get it all set up in 28 days? And then it just kind of took a life of its own. And even like every time I say, oh, well, this is this is as many listeners as I can get. I just kind of go, okay, it's grown again and grown again. And the newsletter keeps on going bigger. So I need to um, stop my WhatsApp as well. Yeah, uh, no yeah, it's just like, it's called the Human Centered Design Network. And it is a network. We have a private community there as well. That's a paid community for designers and change makers to, to get together and not just talk about making the world a better place. You've got a paid community and we run training as well. So we run through training through thisishcd.com. Sounds like I'm on a sales pitch here, um, but and I do coaching. That's how I make my money. How how I kind of pay myself is through video based coaching, so on demand learning, in person coaching, or online coaching, and uh, the private community and premium podcast. And oh, look, it's a nightmare. Anyone asks me that question when I'm out, they go, "What do you do?" Um, I just kind of go, "I'm a designer." That's probably what I say. I'm a designer. Yeah. So you do one on one and one too many stuff yeah. online and in person 
exactly the coaching bit is where i really really enjoy i get like working with one-on-one change makers to try and um create that space and hold space with them to have conversations about what might be holding them back as practitioners any problems that they're they're currently facing in their in their teams um because what i'm seeing at the moment is generally speaking leadership in organizations have a real uh, challenge on their hands because they some of them don't have any experience and then the actual leaders within the design functions within the teams are so stretched they're not able to give that level of uh, nurturing or support to emerging talent so that's kind of the gap um, that i'm hoping and trying daily to fill by connecting with these people and supporting them and working on a 12-week program to help them you know kick some goals so let's go back a bit in time because you obviously have 20 years of experience as a designer yeah and about 10 12 years 12 years i think as i read right mm-hmm. <laughs> of experience in training coaching and so on yeah yeah exactly um, and you're based in ireland based in ireland now but um i lived in australia for 14 yes. years so when, when that's why you know if you look at anything that i do there's always a bunch of aussies in there like you know you know to me they're the greatest people on earth i i love australians so much because i identify as half australian now and citizen of australia citizen of ireland so i'm on both fences i've got my bum on ireland and i've got my legs up on australia so i you know that's the way i like to say it to my friends and family but yeah so i spend an awful lot of time in australia and i've been doing this for quite a while as you said like so i i just i love it um but i'm always looking for people to work with it's not a case um I sit back and relax and you know kind of go i don't know what i'll do this week it's a constant struggle that's one of the things that probably be interesting to talk about like you know it's not a um it's not one of these jobs where you, you kind of sit back and relax and and just let the work flow in you have to be on seven days a week and um that's kind of where where i'm at in my career like i i have to fight to, to get the work in so let's go back you're seeing lots of like interesting things here but i want to go back a bit in time and i i know back in time (laughs) actually actually i do look back to the future there we go so no thank you for that i like all of those effects so you know in in my first and second season i think i had a gong when i would ask about like yeah gut feelings but then i dropped it sometimes it was too loud or not and and it would scare people sometimes so i was like Mm -hmm. okay so my um, question here, I'm going to try to frame it in a way that makes sense. Now, tell me if I'm completely wrong, but I had a few conversations with a friend who's uh, from Ireland. Okay. And uh, he, you know, he kind of um, relates to actually two different people. And they, they both kind of related to, you know, when I would say I'm, I'm from Lebanon, right? It's, it's not something I like walk with, like, a, you know, a bit like you, like I... I don't really feel I completely belong to a place. I can be anywhere. I, I like meeting people, so it doesn't matter. But one thing here is they could relate to, you know, war, like like lack of stability, you name it. So mm-hmm. I want to ask you, how was your childhood like, or you being as a, mm-hmm. like a teenager? What is it that led you to what you do today? Because you really got itchy feet, do yeah, multiple things. Sports. Is there anything, yeah, any story, any memory? Story I don't background. know. So I grew up in a small town outside of Dublin, and it was very small. But my father was from Northern Ireland and built the first supermarket in Northern Ireland, okay, in the 60s. So that's to give you an idea. And they had a post office next to it, and they had uh, an agri business. It was like one of these kind of country stores okay um but my mom was from dublin and you know relocated up to the north during the troubles so ireland as an island is made up of two countries there's northern ireland and ireland and like the history of northern ireland is very complex but basically involves the british coming over um and holding space for 800 years and generations of british people lived there and call it home one of which is my wife so my wife is protestant british from northern ireland i am you know southern ireland republic of ireland catholic 
and we're um, a basically a product of a modern Ireland is what I like to say. So the, the, the unity is still kind of, you know, a work in progress, but my parents relocated from the north due to the troubles and um, that shop, that post office. Ultimately, it was being held up, you know, by paramilitaries. My, we don't want to rear kids up here. So we moved down to Dublin. So it was always in my kind of consciousness that there was this, that there was problems in our country, okay? Probably not too dissimilar to you growing up in the Lebanon. There was a noise, you know, we turn on the news in the 80s and we were still kind of finding our identity down the south because what we'd only been made a republic maybe 80 or 90 years ago. So we we're still kind of trying to find our identity. We weren't really too sure who we were, but lots of things started to happen in the late 80s. U2 as a band started to get international success. Yeah. Um, Riverdance, we started winning all these Eurovision contests. Guinness was being celebrated internationally. We were like, okay, things were maybe we maybe we shouldn't be ashamed of all of these things that like you know were happening in our country. There's, there's reason to be positive. Okay, so Ireland went through a huge flux in the 90s. That's an F L U X. <laughs> And um, lots of change happened. Like literally we were there and we, we went from in the 80s of being a relatively poor country into the 90s where there was so much optimism. And I believe that period of the 80s and 90s, especially I'm a Gen Xer, so we were change makers. It was in our DNA. We were questioning the church in Ireland. We were questioning who we were, um, we were questioning, this generation just questioned everything. Like there must be better ways to do these things. And I ended up studying industrial design in Dublin, in Ireland, which was, I guess, I think that course is gone now. It's it's like a product design function, but really was more thinking holistically. So we incorporated some systems thinking and stuff. This was in the late nineties. So really the, I wouldn't hold much credit to my third level education. I didn't particularly value that whole experience of becoming an industrial designer but it wasn't really until i got to australia where i found that design was being valued and design had a seat at the table and you didn't have to be you didn't have to sell what you were doing in as much as you would have to do it in in other places i found but anyway that's that's a really kind of a story about my childhood um and where i got to but i think the whole kind of the fire the itch as you say in the feet it came from that whole kind of desire to make things better and i still believe it i still hold it true like it's something i whisper into my children's ear every day i'm like come on what voice are you hearing inside your head today who are you come on let's try and do it like you know so that's that's the attitude i have and it's my makeup you know what i mean so is it what took you to australia took me to australia beautiful women uh beautiful beaches only joking I'll tell you what happened, right? It was really interesting because in my final year, there's lots of synchronicities happening around that period of my life, okay? And it's funny, I, I interviewed Hector Garcia, um, the author of this great book the other day, and we had a, we had a brilliant conversation. Yeah. Hector is based in Japan, and he's two books on Ikigai. Uh, one is The Japanese Secret to a Long and Healthy Life, and the other one is The Journey to Ikigai. Highly recommend checking those books out, but we talked about synchronicities quite a lot. And I ended up partnering with a another designer for my final year project and it was like a taxi for the future and it's only now like when you look at it you kind of go it was bicycle led it was like effectively like a modern cargo bike for london and this was in 2001 right that was uh, electric powered and we won the student design award of the year with the royal society of arts in london and ford and bugatti gave me and him a bursary so a bursary to do something to catapult ourselves. And I catapulted myself as quickly as I could to Sydney, which it was in 2003. And um, for anyone who's into rugby, this is the Rugby World Cup year. And it just happened to coincide with the Rugby World Cup, okay, which was held in Australia. So I went out to the Rugby World Cup and I stayed for the year. And I learned that I did not want to do industrial design anymore. I wanted to do a thing called human computer or HCI, basically. I'm not going to yeah. spell it out. And I tried to get a job, couldn't get a job, came home to Ireland. And I was like, I've read all these books, Steve Krug, like don't make me think and all this kind of stuff. And I was, I was well read after a year away, sitting on a beach, reading about this stuff, but I couldn't get a job. 
literally couldn't get a job because it was still design, decoration. They were the same thing. So that's a bit of a nutshell. What took me to Australia? The first time it was the, the RSA gave me a bursary fund. They got me out there. Second time was for my now wife. She wanted to go out for uh, a year. And I, I was at that stage had desires to become a musician and had a manager in America and stuff like that. And I remember doing a website for somebody for cash under the table and going into trail finders, is that what they're called? They're, they're the trail finders, they're a UK company. And I, I got paid 3000 in cash and I went in and I was like, ticket to Australia, please. It was like you'd see in a, in a movie, like snatch or something like it was like, put the money in the table, boom, ticket like, on, I bought it on the Tuesday and I was Australian the Thursday and I got out there really quickly and it was so quick in fact that my weekly catch up with my manager at the time who was in, in America, they were like, hey, why are we doing a call at my nighttime? Shouldn't you be, be in bed? And I go, well, no, it's, a, it's, it's my morning. I'm in Sydney. And she was like, what are you doing in Sydney? And I was like, I followed out my, my girlfriend. And she was like, no, 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 no. You're not meant to be out there. You're meant to be in Dublin. You're meant to be coming over here. And I was like, nah, change of plan. So I followed my heart and it was a good lesson. So do you still uh, follow your heart or your gut? Well, I'm speaking to you, aren't I? The gut talks. Um, do I still follow my heart? Well, I haven't had to really follow it for since that time. Like, you know, I, I still follow my, um, my instinct, I guess is probably a nice way of saying it, like my, my inner voice, but I would be very suspicious of my gut. I have to say, like, it's not something that in my younger years, I would have relied on and went, oh, my gut is trying to tell me something here. But now with wisdom, I question my gut. I, I kind of, maybe it's the beans or maybe it's uh, something else trying to tell me that um, I need to question things a lot more. So I'm much more of an evaluative person than I was maybe five, six, seven years ago. Now I definitely weigh things up and I look at the pros and cons and I'm much, I, I guess I'm thinking more medium and long term than I am just short term. Okay, so the um, older you get, kind of. The... Well, I'm, I'm now 28, so um, <laughs> why does everyone laugh when I say that? I am not in my 30s. I'm not in my 50s. I'm below 45. There you go, folks. Um, yeah, I do question things a lot more. Um, but when I do commit, I commit fully. And that's, that's the difference, um, I think. Just the, the going with your gut instinct, I think too many people can really hold that to be um, like, oh, it's, it's, it's another voice trying to tell us some stuff. Um, it's my process at the moment and it seems to work, but it'll probably change again. Like, you know, that's what I'm learning. I'm not, I'm not, the whole thing about balance is what I'm trying to get to here. Probably a little bit of everything uh, to inform the decision is, is critical in, in my experience. So you do multiple things, right? And you said rightly, like, I'm a designer. That's what you say when someone yeah. asks you because you do multiple things. And, you know, design is a link throughout everything you do, right? Yeah. In the way you approach things. And so you deciding to go into um, education and training and working on projects and coaching and like podcasting, right? And then I don't know what's next, like building a community, like different yeah. things. How have you been making the decisions of going into all of this and managing all of this? Because it's it's quite a lot. Yeah, it is quite a lot. I, I question why I'm doing it most days. Like I'm like, there's there's other ways I can make a living. I could go work for the man. And it's this constant fight. It's like the pros and cons. I could go and probably work for a consultancy and stuff, but I wouldn't feel really um satiated i wouldn't feel really like i'm achieving what i want to do there's very few businesses out there that i think that could really accept me at this stage of my life like you know i remember i did a talk years and years ago and it was in dublin and i talked about redesigning design and right. how design is hitting its limitations and i've since given a, an update on that talk and how it's we've passed it like you know we're we need to radically rethink things. And I remember afterwards, someone coming up to me saying, I really enjoyed your talk. I was like, oh, thank you. Um, that's that's nice. And they're like, but we could never bring you into the bank. And I go, why? And they go, because you're too much of an agitator. 
Michael, I don't think I'm talking about anything that's too radical here. I said, I'm just talking about really questioning things. And there is this kind of sense with a lot of people out there, and I'm speaking on behalf of my coaches and stuff, you kind of have to toe the line at some point, and um, which I agree with to a point, but we do need to ask those questions. We're not paid to be compliant. We're paid to point at the problems and ideally like help solve some of those problems but um sometimes organizations don't want to hear it i remember like sorry i'm jumping between billy and jack here um when i was in government in australia um one of the executives refused to speak to me okay like they just referred to me as scullion and i'm like how offensive and it was all because the research that i was bringing back at the time didn't fall in line with what their mandate was and I didn't like, I, I am, you know, you asked me what I was like in school. I was, or what I was like as a, as a teenager, I was really good. I never got into trouble apart from that one time where I was drinking underage in a pub, but I never really got into trouble, like serious trouble. And like, for me, when I go and do a job, I will always give it my full, like if I take on anyone's projects, I will always give it my full attention to make sure that they are completely satisfied. It's something that baked into us. I think service designers really want to make sure that they're providing a service. But for me, when I'm doing research for organizations, it's not about validating what they want to hear. It's about bringing back those stories that challenge and make them rethink and hopefully become more research-led or human-led, whatever you want to say. You still do that, right? You're doing I still that. take on specific projects if they align to where I'm at. Like Because it, if I'm taking on consultancy-type work, it takes me away from training and then my availability. Mm -hmm. And you know, truthfully, the training can be more lucrative and it frees me up to do other stuff. Whereas if I'm doing consultancy, they tend to buy it on a day, a day-by-day -day basis. So you're kind of like, okay, I'm locked out now for 20 days. And you got to do that work and then suddenly I can't record and I suddenly can't, you know, do other little bits of training here and there, or I can't write or I can't record like this cameras all over this room. So I'm ready to record whenever I want mm -hmm. I never have to set up to record a video or any of this kind of stuff. It's just ready to go. Like, you know, that's, that's how I design this space up here. It's in my attic in, in my house. So those kind of projects, they're few and far between, but if, if they're for governments or if they're for uh, places that I really um, feel connected to that problem, then I'll make it work like, you know. So just a, a quick one here. You said you question everything. I totally relate to that. I've always been questioning everything as a kid, like anything. And sometimes it causes like headaches, like, I don't get headaches, but it's like overthinking, like, stop it, stop it, stop it, you know? <laughs> it's like, but in professional settings, it's like, mm. it, this is this is the challenge where they ask you to come in because it might sound, I mean, we're kind of jumping here into That's design being like a fancy thing. Research can sound a fancy thing. We want to be seen doing it as an organization, mm. right? Yeah. But then they know exactly where one, they want to get to. And then here you have like this friction where, okay, like this is what you are paid to do. This is what you believe like you can add in terms of value to them and they just don't want to see it. Yeah. So lots of things get wrapped into the whole like design thinking and let's play with a bunch of post-it notes and whatever you mentioned at the beginning, you kind of listened to Adam Lawrence's uh, episode on God Talks too. Where, how do you see things? Adam. Adam. <laughs> <laughs> how do you see things uh, now? Like, how were they before? How, how do you see the evolution? What's your view, if you want, or take on that? The on whole which? idea of research. Research with, if you want, led research by organization. Get to that, like, goal-driven organization with an internal goal. Mm -hmm. Well, there's no one answer. There's no. no. There's no one answer to it, like... It depends. Uh, I'd like to know just what, how they operate. How are they making decisions? And where are the voices of the people being woven into those decisions? That's really at its core what we're trying to do. Like we're trying to match that whole um, need and hidden need, and as often the case, to how they design these things, whether they're products or services. Same thing, really. But anyway, yeah. um, yes. so it's really important like i feel like we've been banging our heads against a wall well i have for 20 years like it's like oh obviously so 
you asked a little bit more around what, what, kind of what I do and what, why I got into training and, and so forth. Yeah. So when I was in Australia, I started working in government in the last four years before I left Australia. And it was the first time that I felt like I was seeing things. Okay. It was, I can't describe it. It was like a, a light went on in my head is, is the way I can describe it. For a long time, I was blind. You know, I'm white, I'm man. And a lot of the times I was paid to work in companies that, you know, probably weren't doing it very well. And I was part of that problem. And then when I started working in government, I started to see social problems and the inequalities. And I remember one time I was working way outside of Sydney, um, you know, over in the West in Sydney, for anyone who's listening in Australia. But um, I was sitting in court for a whole week, which sounds like a nightmare to some people, but it was incredible okay because i was seeing all of these court cases coming up and for anyone who's got a spare day folks just go to court just go to court and sit in the back you, you learn so much about life but um i really I really wanted to create something that i could point at and say this is what design is as opposed to having those same conversations and that's where the podcast came out of it was something this is human-centered design not mm-hmm. the ideo kind of framework the double diamond, the design thinking kind of approach. This is a mindset. This is what we're talking about. This is the stuff to get us rethinking things. When I came home from Australia, I took a role at a consultancy and my head did 360 degrees a hundred times within about three months. I was like, this is awful. This is not what it's about. Like, you know, this is, I was the complete antithesis everything that I believed in. Like, it was just like, it was just not, not the right space for me, the right place either. And I said, you know, what we really need to do is is get stuck more into the education side of things mm-hmm. and give affordable, flexible spaces to learn that really help push the craft. And that's when, you know, myself and Mark, um, Mark Stickdorn, who's Adam's collaborator. So I know Adam through Mark. We started to collaborate together and that's where this is doing came out of during the pandemic and it was a great experience and it was a great experiment but i guess over the last couple of years we've all worked independently this is doing is still go mark adam and marcus run that i'm no longer involved in this is doing but the education space became really really interesting to me from a service design perspective but i felt that if we were like i trained thousands of people in the last couple of years and i started to question the effectiveness of people going back into their organization i've given you a really long answer here i i where is this coming from i don't know but um basically i question the effectiveness of training when they go back into the organizations and the organizations suppress any of these new radical ideas to do things differently and that's where i started to really scratch the itch of the makers and doers school that i've i launched i've been working on for about nine months mm-hmm. and i'm holding it up here like this is like a little booklet that i give to all the kids we ran a prototype of a summer camp um we'll do it this way it's a bit better so like become a scientist and all the different um mindsets that you need to do during the become a detective so um and it was amazing i'd never taught six-year-olds and seven-year-olds and eight-year-olds um for five days in a row and i've never been as tired as i was on that friday i remember just kind of like getting into my car and just shriveling down behind the steering wheel and kind of rocking back and forth but it was amazing amazing like they made such a leap from monday to friday they were questioning things they were doing things differently they were asking questions and some of that was just due to the fact that they got to know me a bit better but it was a really interesting experience and it's definitely something i want to do more of it's just trying to find the right business model to make it sustainable what is it that got you into um, kids basically i have kids that's what got me into kids there's no other way of saying it like they they say um i remember when i was working in government in australia Jerry Gaffney, he's this incredible user experience designer. He calls me my childhood nickname, Scully. He's like, Scully, you're ruined now. You're going to have kids. You're not going to be able to take on the type of work you've been taking. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Would you go away from me? This is why we'd speak to each other because he's Irish and I'm Irish. And he was right. Like no one told me when you had kids, your brain gets rewired. And you, you have this whole kind of 
it was literally like I was waking her up and I was a different person little by little every day. And we have two kids, Freya and Sam. Freya is six and a half and Sam is four. And just watching them develop and then realizing like there's there's not enough stimulus happening in education and there's an awful lot of talk about it, but not an awful lot of doing. And like that's no discredit to the teachers out there. The teachers in Ireland in particular are absolutely amazing absolutely amazing but there's a huge gap there between reality um it could be extracurricular stuff that's the way i position it at the moment but i'm really interested in the designing for home experience that's the bit that i feel providing the material and i mean that in educational material and physical material to play in a relatively unstructured slash structured way through guidance is the area that I'm probably going to be taking that business because it allows it to scale. It allows it to become more community led and it's relatively flexible, but I really want to give that, that kind of fodder, F-O-D-D-E-R, fodder to the children and the parents and the schools ultimately as well to try and push it forward. And I'm not working on it on my own. There's two other people, Mairead and Alexa, who that's another story for you, by the way. They've helped me with the with the workshop that we did at the summer camp or summer course, as we should probably be calling, because it's not really like a summer camp. But um, they're amazing. Like they're much more on the art side of things, and I'm coming at it from a design perspective. Yeah, there's lots uh, here. I mean, that's a topic of uh, on its own. Actually, when you go back to the whole education system everywhere, it's like mm. even it's been the same for ages, with a bit of nuances maybe, and we don't hear a lot like people talking about this. The only thing that you hear, or at least that I've heard about a lot, is like they don't teach you teach you business at school. But there is much more to it. It's not just a business. Like it's what you're saying, like questioning things and, yeah. and asking the right questions. This is essential. And if if kids can start doing that early on, then yeah. their life will be different to uh Absolutely. I mean, well, business has got us into the position where we're at now at the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, like the business, business success is usually profit selling, you know, needs that whole kind of mindset needs to be questioned. There's nothing wrong with business, by the way, and there's nothing wrong with profit. And I know my no, no, not, nothing wrong. Today, but it's I, I think here. that's important, actually. <laughs> it's we need this yeah, because absolutely. we get we taught. Yeah, how to be like, how to obey somehow, like how to be good mm. at what you do, but not how to get things done and not be shy just to get out or yeah. afraid to get out and do things. And that's what's missing. You mean get out like and clear your head and, and walk and do uh, things? No, no, like, like when you say get out. Get out means like talk to people, try like interact. Oh, yeah, yeah. Learn, exactly. explore, exactly like try, test. Yeah. This whole be curious. Like, you know, that's yes. what everyone says. Like, oh, I look for curiosity. And um, you know, you see it in the job descriptions. Be curious. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's that's great. Like, you know, and I guarantee you, if you had a thousand people interviewing here at the moment, none of them would say, Do you know what? I, I'm not curious. I'm not curious. Like, no, no, I'm not curious. I just want to be told what to do. Human nature. I would argue that most people are curious. They want to do things better. They want to do these things and and question. But what tends to happen is the lack of leadership who are just in line with business and making profit and they don't question the other stuff. So the humanities, the this whole angle and argument for why we do what we do um, and how we do what we do needs to be really brought up and it's funny like i did this really um this experiment I, I, and the night before i was like on the tuesday night i said i'm gonna do something with these kids on the wednesday i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna give them a physical way of exploring experimentation and there was a gym next to the space where we did it and i was like said, how am i gonna do it like how can i walk them through this process so we took them down to the gym and I lined them all up against the wall. And I said, okay, it was a basketball court. And there was a circle in the middle. And I said, okay, what we're going to do is we have to roll the ball and it has to land. It has to stop in the circle. And they were all like, and they're all like six, seven, eight years old. And there was like 25 of them. 
the first person came up and they rolled it and the ball went beyond it's very hard to have it slow down at that point well the next bunch of people came and they rolled it really slowly and wasn't fast enough to to get to the middle and I, they, I was like okay everyone stop what's happening here and they go we can't get it to stop where we want it to stop and there was one child ollie is his name he's eight and he was so cool and he was you know he's a super smart really bright child and uh he got up and he was a bit taller than the others and i said what are you doing with the ball he was going to bounce it and i go why are you going to bounce it and he was like because it's going to reduce its friction i said to myself i'm like bloody hell i said you're so so he bounced it and it just missed it like it slowed down he says it'll slow down with the bounces and i'm like ah very clever so no one got it in the first round and i said okay so after the first round i said tell me what you're all learning and they said well we know that rolling isn't going to really work what all he did was interesting this is what they're all saying to me so we think that they're kids like, like the kids won't get it so i was like okay the next time they all started to bounce it and five of them got it the second time so the next time the third chance came around 10 of them got it and i was like what are you learning and this is we're learning from each other and i'm like right exercise done folks i'm going to charge your parents an extra thousand euro for this week <laughs> because that lesson in on its own we could give it to you know organizations and it was a really small exercise. Some of the kids really got it. They really like connected with it. They're like, mm. you could see the light bulbs going off and lighting up. And, you know, they're, they were kind of like, yeah, that is, that is true. Like, you know, um, other kids just weren't really that. They were like, give me the ball. I want to kick it. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that naive, but it was an amazing thing for me to see. I'm going to have another coffee here. Don't mind me. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, so that's that's kind of like in a nutshell what the makers and doers is about. It's really fascinating. I just need to figure out the business model so I don't go broke doing it. You know what I mean? I get no government assistance or nothing like that. I, I lost several thousand on that week alone just from the prototype. So I've only got a couple of more stabs before I try and figure out the business model. How did you get started and did you find like the kids or I mean the parents, obviously, or did you uh, try to find partners first? No, it's a good question. I had been talking about it for about four years and a few people have messaged me on um, Twitter and stuff saying you should, you should explore this. And I was like, ah, that's, there's no business model there that'll make it work. I was really, I was kind of very skeptical initially. Um, But what I did is I did Instagram tests. So I set up an Instagram page and i had a couple of landing pages and i ran 50 euro tests for a couple of weeks and different propositions on each and i could see what were things were being clicked mm-hmm. funny enough i got banned off facebook off that i was really? like yeah. They, they panned a lot at you. why did you know why uh, and i spent 500 euro with an agency who speak to the support team in facebook yeah and they just said no we can't give a reason just just banned and i was like i, I must be something to do with the fact that there was a child a photo of a child in one of the ads that's the only thing we can think of but i wasn't able to do any more of the ads and by the way i hate facebook i hate them yeah. hate everything about them I hate zuckerberg I hate them so I hate all those things and it's a really strong word people say like i just probably hates a strong word but like i really dislike them and I especially dislike them after that because i was like hey look but anyway i got enough of an interest about is there a market there and um spoke to a lot of people who registered on the newsletter i said hey can i chat to you on the phone this is what i'm trying to do and i got loads of insights like parents are not shy of telling you what they want it's not like you have to scratch below the surface and try and determine the need these they were telling you what they want which was really good and um the ultimate test is putting the hand in the pocket are they going to buy something and they did so they did buy and um it was good we didn't charge enough which i knew anyway but i just wanted to get people in for an experience and experiments it's on the makers and doers school or makers and doers school on instagram Mm -hmm. and there's a couple of hundred people in there that followed it but really um you know it was a prototype it was a learning experiment and i'm I'm going to start talking more around the experiments of designing the business because i think the parents are really interested in that 
like what are you doing with it how's it working so yeah that's that's kind of how i got it started i like the story because it's like basically what Service you design. teach yeah exactly yeah. so yeah. um but Amazing. what was the pitch what oh, when I'm... you said you were talking to lots of people what was the pitch to them designing i was empowering uh, the next generation of thinkers and doers that's that was the the tagline and i think i i used the phrase design thinking because it resonates with parents who may not know what human-centered design and some people then went on to discover the podcast and they'd ask me questions about it when they're picking up the kids and um i like it i guess some people are probably a little bit more suspicious of human-centered design if you don't know what it is because i talk about it like a mindset which gets into the world of spirituality and you know all that kind of stuff where i don't talk about that really at the kids but i do introduce them to sustainability and stuff that impacts our our health and our life and following your purpose we, we did speak about that one of the most rewarding pieces on that week and i can't wait to do it again was uh work with children who are relatively um shy and you know not putting them on the spot by saying now's your time to present like really seeing if they wanted to share what they were creating and i was like who's interested in coming up in the chair with me and holding them on the chair and watching them talk about what they created sometimes they'd be whispering in my ear like this is a little theater like with little people and then by the end of it they would all be like come on you can talk out louder like it's not you're not talking to me i mean if she knows because the hay fever and the window's open i don't have a drug problem and um so it was really really nice to see children kind of build that trust with their group of people and you know co-learn with each other and i mean that's like i'm sure teachers out there are just kind of like yeah this is a normal monday to friday so for us but when you're looking at it from a training perspective or a design perspective you don't see an awful lot of that happening in organizations you don't see enough of it where people want to talk about it want to share it's still very much siloed and um that was the bit that was really heartwarming for me and i really believe the generation that we're we're working with in education at the moment they're a different breed these yeah. kids are going to be like you know designing us under the table in 10 years like you know they're they're super smart like super bright they are and and sometimes one may assume that yeah they're just kids no, but no. they can do wonders, right? And they're smart and they are sponges. I was super shy, actually, as a kid. I would never say anything. Really? Yes. And look at you now. <laughs> look at well, you. I still am somehow. But yeah, yeah, I mean, if I look back, I'm like, oh, my God. I, I, I mean, I'm a different person. Yeah. Um, and what changed? Uh, what changed? Yeah, for you. What worked for you? Um, it was, well, I was already in my 20s, to be honest. But it's... Um, it was when I made the decision, first of all, to get out of my circle and where I was mm -hmm. and around people I knew. I wanted to be around people. No one knew anything about me. So yeah. I felt more comfortable. And the other part was I. The, the key one is I decided to say yes to things and just yeah. go for it. And that was a mental rough road, actually, to decide and to apply, actually. That's, that was the key part. But yeah. then th this is what changed it for me. It's like, I don't care. And I'm just going to well, do stuff. Well, it's funny. That's one of the things that uh, Hector Garcia said the other day in his, in his podcast. We were talking about saying yes to everything for a period of time um, and then going into monk mode. I love, <laughs> he, he called <laughs> monk mode. I'm like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a monk mode. But um, it was saying yes to everything is one of the best things. And what, what, what difference did that have for you then? What, what happened when you started saying yes to everything? You must have been drunk every single night of the week. You coming out tonight? Yes. <laughs> Funny thing is I don't drink. Neither do I. Yeah, I, I, uh, I don't drink. So I put it that way. I don't eat anything that is uh, bitter. I don't drink coffee and I don't drink alcohol. I only drink a glass of Prosecco with my neighbors. For breakfast. Uh, that I'm saying to do. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's it. Never liked it. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, not. I also went to Mykonos, funny enough, with friends, and they're telling me, Are you sure? 
I said, yeah, yeah. They're like, are you sure? And I felt like they didn't really want me to come until I realized like, okay, this is what they meant. And I was just up partying between brackets, just standing up with everyone drunk around me. So I was just like, yeah. yeah, So they were were in bed late the next day and you you were the one who was like, yeah, like watching the sunrise. Yes. So, um, so anyway, um, well, I mean, this podcast is about you, but I'll, I'll, I'll answer the question. <laughs> no, it's, um, it's about both of us. Like, if you I, want to know about you, I'm sure. Yeah, you know, I feel as I'm like, as we're moving along with this podcast, because obviously I had no idea what we would be talking about, which I like. Yeah. I knew it was going to be fun and interesting. It's because you're a podcaster also. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to know more about you. For people yeah. to know about, you know, some backstories. Saying yes, I remember, I think I was in uh, Cyprus and I was kind of planning to go back to Italy and I got a scholarship and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go back, start again, whatever. Yeah. Even though I was like, okay, start again. Like, does it make sense? And I'm like, you know what? It's kind of a sign. Like, you know, sometimes you get things, just go along. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? And I I was kind of on holidays also back then. I was like, just say, I'm going to say yes. And whatever comes my way, I'm just going to say yes and explore and see what happens. So I, I started doing that all the time in yeah. any any kind of decision. I mean, I can't recall everything, but that was the first one but then i started also opening up more like i had this thing and my mom always that's you know my mom always used to tell me when someone says how are you say very well thank you and you like don't just say i'm good thank you <laughs> you know yeah. And, and yeah it's nice yeah just say and you like you know just don't uh, end it here yeah, but nice. when i was before also in in Italy I was I was also studying so I think I had uh, some students from other masters who would come and ask me to give them feedback on their projects yeah and I was like okay like I'd never understood why but I was also just trying to meet everybody going to all the masters to all the lectures just meet people like I knew pretty much everyone so yeah. But them coming to me was something where like that some friends picked up on and they were like, you should teach. Mm -hmm. And then I applied to teach like late, like a year after. And I got in. And when I got in after two weeks, because they needed someone. And actually, I knew after that they had to take someone else. But then when I applied, they decided to take me first. I was like, okay, I'm so not ready for this. I was freaking out. And then I said, okay, if I don't do it now, it might never happen again. Yeah. Like things happen. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go for it. Yeah. I, I looked like the students. Like I was, I, I, they thought I was a student, put it that way. But yeah, things like that. <laughs> so we're all students, aren't we? At the end of the day, like, you know, yes, this was yes. Polytechnic de Milano, wasn't it? Uh, you teaching? Uh, no. So that was when I was teaching in Lebanon. And then okay. after I started teaching in Italy. So I, I, so I moved to Italy in 2010. Then I ba- went back to Lebanon in 2011, went back in. 2015 i was still so my brain was elsewhere and my body was in lebanon at some time at some point and then i was like kind of okay what do i do now so yeah it's you know training is and training and education they're 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 very similar there is a a little bit of Mm -hmm. a difference i think it's really rewarding like when you get a good group of people who really want to learn and they're open to different ways of learning it's so rewarding like it really is like you go home at the end of the day and you don't feel tired you feel empowered like that's the way it is for me anyway it's it's mm-hmm. um i love it literally yeah. love it like, you know i think um when i started teaching i had uh, a colleague that i would call my mentor because i was always going out with her i wanted to learn mm-hmm. you know more she had like 25 years of experience teaching and she was still is great and she could bring like get the students to do things that are unthinkable put it that way in in like their their first year yeah so i remember she told me if you have let's say the whole class doing stuff but if you have one student who kind of sees something discovers something that would make your day she said it's and it's so true and i remember later that year i was staying like after hour with a student just going through stuff or project and then at some point you know, after, let's say, I think it was after like three months or so, or so working on this same project, she was like, oh, and a long oh, 
And that for me was like the a highlight, I think, for life. Yeah. It's like, this is what I look for when I do stuff. If it's training like, you know, professionals in companies or if it's teaching like, you know, students or whatever that may be, yeah. this is like brilliant. That, that's it. I mean, I, I have this phrase that I say to people when I'm training, like my role here is to bring 30%. So you bring the 70%, all of you together. And I'm like, I can do that 30% in my sleep. Okay, right. I can I can knock 30% out, you know, very quickly. I said, can you bring the 70%? And we have that kind of, it's a social contract effectively. It's a, what Adam does as well. An awful yeah. lot. And they're like, I'm going to say, he's only going to bring 30%. That's a fail. I was like, yeah. I said, like, so I'm going to give you the stuff. It's up to you what you want to do with it. And um, I was like, if this is a bad session at the end of the day, I've done my 30%. I get paid for the 30%. Like, you know, I'll be feeding back on the other stuff. So come on, let's do it. Like, you know, and it's really true. Like, you know, it's, we can, we can show up, we can bring our stuff. But at the end of the day, it's down to the participants if they really want to learn. And that's what's good, but it's also kind of what's bad. You know, I'd love to be able to have a recipe to say like, you know what? I'm just going to rock up. You can fall asleep. And at the end of it, you're going to have the information. But unfortunately, you still haven't figured that one out. Like, you know, chat GPT, how do you make that happen? There we go. So you're jumping into that. So <laughs> I think this, it's uh, what, uh, what we're talking about here is really, I mean, there are plenty of stories. It, yeah. Going back to what you say, or what you said, actually. <laughs> I remember last year I had like a couple of students who just couldn't be asked too much anyway. They just wanted to go out and party and travel all the time. And then they would come back to me and like, just tell me stuff. And then I told them, listen, guys, I, I know. So if you're not putting in any kind of thoughts <laughs> in what you're doing, I know. So don't try to just, just come back to me. Tell me I didn't have time, whatever. But if you want me to help you, yeah. Just, Same. you know, <laughs> just to do some work and, and tell me. Otherwise, I can't help you because you know what? I don't have the answers anyway. <laughs> so exactly. uh, it, it's, uh, I think it's really common. Uh, uh, that's why we're, we're kind of on the same uh, wavelengths. Yeah. There are lots of stories here. So Absolutely. Absolutely. You're using, uh, going back to chat GPT, um, I uh, listened to your uh, episode I think we mentioned Adam about 10 times on this podcast. He's mm -hmm. on holidays now, so I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna let him know. So, um, you interviewed Adam and Marcus, um, uh, after teaming yeah. up with AI. So this is what we started off talking about, uh, during this podcast. And, um, you, you said you have this uh, love and hate kind of relationship with, uh, AI. Yeah, yeah still. Yeah. Still. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, we still haven't figured that out um we're working on it as we go along i love it and i also hate it in some ways because i can see how it's going to be misused it's not like if it's more like when um i just think it needs to be more considered and it's how it's being applied um you know tech hasn't really built an awful lot of trust with people over the last 10 or 15 years. So I just like, that's where my suspicion comes from. It's not a case of, you know, I'd never use it. I do use it like, you know, but I just think it's at that point where it could really become out of hand very quickly. You're so, talking specifically about like generative AI kind of chat. Generative AI, like um, you know, the stuff around deep fakes. Yeah using it within musician, uh, kind of like to lean into their data sets, you know, even looking at Spotify and all of these places, like how do those artists who who are not even providing their data set, they're just taking their data set, um, how are they going to be included in the future? How are we going wow. to, it's, it's those quandaries. It's not, and no one has the answer to it. That's what becomes clear. Like it's just the case of like, it's going to happen much like, um, whenever Spotify and Napster were coming out in 99, 2000, 2001, we're going to have to get ready for it very quickly. But, you know, if we thought it was bad, whenever things went digital in the banks and people were asking for stuff, it's going to get a hundred times worse or a thousand times worse once AI starts getting involved and you start having all these problems. 
So it's it's definitely one to remain focused on, I think, what Adam Marcus and Florian in Nuremberg, that conference was really good. Um, and I nearly didn't go. If it wasn't for Marcus, he rang me and he was like, will you come over? And I go, no, I can't afford it. It's, it's too expensive. Um, and then he was like, it's not that expensive. I looked at your flights to come over. Come on. And I was like, the story behind that one is really funny because I bought the Playmobil Pro Kit, which they actually worked <laughs> with uh, Frank Muller on and for, for the kids stuff. And I'd said to my wife, like, oh, look, you know, there's no real material out there. I had to use the Playmobil Pro Kit, like in a structured way. And Adam or Marcus had said, look, oh, come on over and we'll we'll show you. Like, And then in the same breath and WhatsApp, this event, I just assumed, didn't even look at the link. I just looked at when the dates were. And for a week or two, I was like saying, so how do you weave the Playmobil Pro Kit into the AI stuff? And he's like, what are you talking about? Like, I've booked my flights. I said, I want to go over and learn more about the Playmobil Pro. And he's like, oh, no, no, that's, that's a, that was a separate thread. <laughs> so I, bought, <laughs> I originally bought the, the tickets going to um, teaming, with my, teaming with AI, not knowing what it was really fully about. I knew it was about AI, but I thought there was going to be something else around facilitation and using the externalization of these tools. Um, but, yeah, that was originally where it all came about. Like, but Marcus and Adam... Um, they're they're really generous they give an awful lot of time they're helping push the craft um so yeah it's uh i don't know if they're running it again but it's definitely one if you're around that neck of the woods or if you're interested in it check out teaming with ai i'm not paid to say that i just really think it's really important yeah it i I enjoyed it i mean i was in the online one but i enjoyed that one as well did did you get a chance to uh play with ai and uh, play mobile yeah okay (laughs) still have the pro kit here like you know i've uh, i have it at home and we used it in the um in the makers and doers school and it was good fun uh and i play with ai all the time you know what i mean i try and learn these different things um but i probably could do an awful lot more to me it's it's still kind of trying to figure out it's a um it's a solution and i'm looking for a problem for it like you know as a as a musician do you also play with ai no I don't. Okay. I'm still really old school. Still have all my guitar pedals in a, in a big box to the side of this attic over here. So I'm still kind of analog in playing music and stuff. I look at all these people on YouTube. I'm going, God, that is so cool that you can do this kind of stuff. Wow. Loop stations. That's cool. No, I'm still really old school. I still have my electric guitars and all my acoustics and it still comes out of my hands. It doesn't come out of any AI. So that's what I do. And plus, no one in AI can beat my rendition of Baby Shark and the ukulele. So <laughs> that is still what gets played mostly in my house downstairs on the uke. I remember you had the background with your guitars, but I can't see them here. Oh, yeah, there's, there's probably, probably a little bit over here. There's some of them. You could just see one one neck. Oh, I see one here. Yeah, okay. Dark on that side of the uh, the room. Is there anything you would like to discuss? Because I know that obviously <laughs> there are many things we didn't uh, dive too much into coaching or into podcasting or into the community. Is there anything you would like to talk about? Um, no, we've covered off an awful lot of stuff. Like the, the areas that I'm kind of most focused on is building out the coaching practice and building out the community. Mm-hmm. Um, we announced yesterday, actually last night, about moving the podcast to a premium model which is radical. We're nearly at a million downloads. Nice. So it's at that point where we're like, okay, you know what? We we need to separate things a little bit. You know, there's the whole kind of world of free doesn't really work. You know what I mean? Like, so mm-hmm. we've partnered with Spotify and I had other stuff going on with other advertisers and some people don't like it. I'm like, oh, that's cool. If you don't like it, then you can support it, you know, mm-hmm. and that is, so we've split the feeds up. People say like, there's all these softwares out there. They can make it really easy to do. My God, it was so, so much pain trying to structure all these things. Cause it's so rudimentary podcasts. And then you have to, you're kind of doing it in, in the live setting as well. So you're kind of Spotify. That's where spot. I wasn't able to do it before when I wasn't with Spotify. And they were really kind and they did end up getting on, on Zoom calls with me. I know I was chatting to you about, about that before. Um, but it's all fully set up and it really excites me about having 
a separate stream where it's not like a Patreon. It's more like yeah. you actually reward people and have a really separate type of engagement with people who listen and pay and reward those people who really want to be part of something. And that really feeds nicely into the community. We've only got about eight people in our community who are paying. And that community is like a design gym. That's what one of the people were calling it, where it's more of a space for practicing little things and supporting and facilitating and talking about social change and what we need to do more of. So I wouldn't say it's a bazillion miles away from activism. It's full of people who are interested in that space. And that's that's really rewarding for me. And I love facilitating those kind of conversations. So you can check out this is com if you want. Um, you know, buy a course means I can buy my favorite Diablo pizza on a Friday night by supporting my courses. It's today Friday, it is, isn't it? Pizza Today's Friday. Night, pizza night tonight. And Guinness. No, I don't drink. So, oh, you uh, don't either. Okay. No, 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 I don't. I gave it up a year ago. It was funny. I thought I was on my own. I was like, hey, you know, I'm going to be the, I'm going to be the, the freak who doesn't drink, you know, and I, I get what you were talking about before people trying to convince you to drink and stuff. And my wife was like, you can still have one or two. Like, you know, I go, I just don't want any. I'm so against it. And I said it um, to a few people and it turns out there's, so you probably know Lou Down, you know, from Good Services. They gave up the booze about a month after me, nothing to do with me, just completely incidental. Sarah Drummond, they also gave up the booze. And, you know, I feel great. There's certain times when I've got my kids and they're like, you know, doing my absolute head in and where I feel like I just want to have, you know, a couple of shots or something to take the edge off. But, you know what, you know, a can of Coke or something else will, you know, calm me down a little bit. It's, it's well, a that's sugar. It will calm me down and make you fall asleep after. No, just something, <laughs> just something like a treat or something like that usually makes me feel a little bit better, like something that I probably shouldn't be having. But um, I do not miss alcohol at all. I do miss Guinness, though, and I don't get into this one. Guinness is separate. Guinness is like a, you know, it's more of a ritual in Ireland when you're having a, a good pint of Guinness. It's it's a it's a sense of calm watching your pint get ready for you. So, yeah, anyway, that's oh, it. You, you mentioned a few people in the design community, kind of, <laughs> at large, who yeah. gave up, yeah, who gave up yeah, alcohol. People, I, know, I know more people who have given up alcohol. And why, in, in, why did you do it, like yourself? My mental health, I gave it up. I wasn't drinking too much, but I have really had to focus on it over the last couple of years. The pandemic was not kind to me. It was like, ah. it really knocked me for six. There was periods where I thought I was going to die after when I got COVID, I got a pre-vaccines and all of that stuff. And it took me six or seven weeks to really recover, like till I was able to work. I was in hospital like so many times. I was really sick. And afterwards it was just like, it did have an effect on me. Like, and they, there's these unknowns around the impact on your mental health after getting COVID. And I got the full whack of it the second round of COVID where I was, and I was in hospital and I was beside all the people. So yeah, COVID is, you know, one of the causes I believe for why I, I nosedived. Um, but yeah, so I gave up everything like that. Um, the only thing I don't really, I haven't given up is chocolate. Well, that's a tough one. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. You have to give booze up than it is to give up chocolate. Oh. No, thank you so much for this. Nah, it's all good. No, thank you for doing it. Like, honestly, I, I've got a thing happening in September where I put an email out uh, maybe about six weeks ago where I said, hey, listen, look, I was interviewing some people in the US. It's really difficult. That West Coast time zone is really difficult where I'm based in Dublin now because family time is really important to me. 4 30 i collect the kids up they go to bed around seven so, so between the hour, hours of 4 30 and 8 it's really difficult for me to mm. to interview people and i put it out in the news that i said this is my quandary like it's um i realize i'm interviewing more and more people that are kind of like in that australian time zone and new zealand and asia and stuff i said i need some help hands up who's anyone who's interested in 
doing a podcast, like, like a sub, like someone who can just sub in for me. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I did not think about that at all. Okay. Like there was like, it was like 50 people responded with their hands up. And now I'm like, so Lisa who works with me, she handles my calendar. She's like, what are you going to do with this? Like, I didn't think about it. I wrote that email at four o'clock and I sent it a quarter past four. Now there's 50 people expecting that they're going to sub in for me and doing podcasts, but no podcast experience. So I gave up emailing them back after four or five people. I was like, oh, screw this. So I said, I'm going to, I'm just going to put a session on. So I put a session on for an hour and I don't know what I'm going to do in it, but I love hearing people start podcasts um, because what you're doing at the moment is really, really important. Okay. Um, and we need more people doing it, believe it or not. Like it's not a case of, um, you know, just doing it for the, for the crack, having conversations is what makes us human. So kudos to you for putting yourself out there because it takes confidence. It takes balls to push stuff out into the networks and say, here's something, let's talk about it. Um, and I wish more people would do it like, because it is very fulfilling when you, when you make that connection with people. So fair play, as you say in Ireland, to you. Thank you. Yeah, it, it, I, I didn't know when I started that it would take a lot of time and effort, to be honest. But yeah. when you start, you can't stop. Consumes. It, it, I, yeah. No, really, really pleased you came. I, I've, I've actually wanted to even reach out to you earlier, but I'm glad it came at this point in time because yeah. we spoke about the new stuff you were uh, working on as well. Yeah. yeah I'm yeah, looking forward you. to hearing uh, more and uh, we're connected anyway. So. Yeah, absolutely. It starts with the gut. It ends with the gut. It's in your gut. Gut Talks.